You are listening to episode 13 of the EU Startups Podcast and today we interview Tutsche Bulut, the founder and CEO of the human intelligence platform StreetBees with already over 4 million users. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the EU Startups Podcast. I hope you had a great start in 2021 despite the still ongoing pandemic. You might have seen that we just announced that our upcoming EU Startup Summit at the end of April will be held at an online event. Unfortunately, we didn't see another option since it seems that large international gatherings will still not be possible again in April. Also, we didn't want to postpone the event any further. Although we would have preferred to meet all of you in person, you can rest assured that we'll do our very best to make this year's EU Startup Summit as worthwhile and exciting as possible. And it would be great to see you there. Also, if you're representing a corporate or SaaS company that offers a great product or service for startups, we just opened up a sponsorship slot for the EU Startups podcast. And if you're interested to learn more, please contact me via email. My address is Thomas with an H, at eu-startups.com. And now, without further ado, let's jump right into today's interview, which has been facilitated by our head of content, Charlotte. Okay, so for today's EU Startups podcast, we're talking about the increasing need for consumers to have a voice when it comes to innovation and how to put the user back in the driving seat when it comes to their data. And for this discussion, we're happy to be joined by Tuche Bullet, uh, founder of StreetBees, which is a London-based global intelligence platform. StreetBees reveals how people behave and why by analyzing real-life moments collected by videos, photos, and text from its 4 million users or the bees, which are spread across 150 countries. So thank you for joining us and hello. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for the kind introduction. Um, so I thought we could just start by explaining to the EU startups listeners the concept of street bees. And I thought maybe um, it could be useful to use the example of something that you've actually discovered about how gamers today are eating, which is that they prefer non-greasy snacks and that they prefer to eat with one hand <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah definitely we can, we can yeah. come to that just to briefly explain what what street Peace does is mm. that all the consumer companies and even institutions like governments health organizations need to understand what is going on in everyday life of people of consumers and traditionally, they have done that by going into, you know, your standard market research companies who asks you a whole bunch of survey questions, assuming that, first of all, you can remember when was the last time you had some chocolate or when you were gaming and what was happening. And secondly, also assuming that you know the answers. 
But the reality is a lot of our behavior is completely driven by our emotions and the context at that very moment, which means that we can't actually, A, remember what was going on with its full context, and B, most of the time it's habitual, it wasn't a conscious decision, so we cannot answer a survey to be able to tell them something we don't actually know ourselves in the first place. What we wanted to do with StreetBees is to create a data exchange platform where people, when they are getting on with their lives day to day, just uh, log with the StreetBees app what's happening in their lives. So, for example, when we were not in a lockdown on a Friday evening, I can go down to the pub with a couple of friends and we are having a few drinks, right? And I take my app. I take my phone out. I go to the StreetBees app and then I take a photo of what are we drinking and then I take a video who I'm with, how are we feeling, how my day has been so far, and what are we planning for the rest of the evening. And I'm also capturing to the barcode level, to the scanning the actual exact drink, what products we are consuming and why we chose them in that very moment. Mm-hmm. Now, Street Peace gathers more than hundreds of millions of moments like this every month, right? And we keep that in a massive database. We call this unstructured data. Then if you are an alcohol company or if you are um, another consumer company or if you are even NHS, for example, who wants to understand people's eating and drinking behavior, you can come to us. You can subscribe to the StreetBeast solution and we basically show for consumer companies what are the new product innovation opportunities are, what's the right way to communicate the brand to be able to resonate with people or if you are an authority like a, you know, local um, mayor's office, for example, we can give you the right angles to be able to address your constituency's problems as well. Coming back to the example you mentioned, that was a really funny one. And obviously gaming has been on the rise with all the lockdowns going on. And a lot of big snacking companies wants to address what gamers want. And the assumption was they're going to eat big pizzas, right? They're going to order a pizza in, etc. But what it turns out is that if you're a gamer, you would also know this. Your hands need to be on the uh, console while you are playing the game. So if you eat a piece of pizza, your hands get all greasy and then you are back on the console. It doesn't work. And you want to be able to keep playing with one hand and eat the food with the other hand. So it needs to be really easy. As a result, one of the snacking companies we work with invented this new type of crisps, which is like in a bottle, right? Mm -hmm. And it's already uh, crumbled into smaller pieces. So you can take it with one hand without actually touching it and then put it into your mouth, just like drinking water, basically. Mm -hmm. And you can continue to play the game. And this kind of a need would never be in the radar of this snacking company if we weren't discovering the needs of the consumers from the ground up. Yes. Okay. So on once you've received all the data from the bees, then you have all of this unstructured data and you then go through a sort of um, processing analysis, uh, including natural language processing. Um, could you explain a bit more about how that works? Absolutely. So exactly like you said, to begin with, you anyone in any of these 150 countries can become a bee. They just go to the app store in their country, they can download the app and they become a bee, right? Mm-hmm. And then they start sharing like normal moments in their lives when they are eating, drinking or shopping on e-commerce or buying their new insurance package or shopping for a car, whatever it is. That data comes into a single database 
which is protected and separated from their identity. And this is so important for us. What we call this is data privacy uh, by design. So when we actually build this exchange platform, we were already very conscious of the fact that the users trust us with very intimate moments in their lives. We need to protect their identity from any risks, including the risk of being hacked. So as soon as a user shares any data with us, their name, phone numbers are completely what we call pseudonymized. Even I, myself or anyone in the company cannot go to an answer and actually find out who that person is. Even we can't see that because we completely block the relationship between the two. That unstructured data then gets analyzed by the, as you mentioned, natural language processing. So there are two layers of that. The first layer, without going too technical, um, is the deep neural networks. So the, these deep neural networks are based on the ontologies we created over six years to be able to interpret the data. Just to give you an example, if I say something like, oh, I'm making some tea right now, and we used to make tea with my brother, he now lived, uh, moved to North, I haven't seen him in ages, right? Deep neural networks can interpret that paragraph as a sense of loneliness. So I didn't like to say I'm lonely, not use any synonyms. I might not be even aware of the fact that I am feeling lonely. But mm -hmm. our deep neural networks can diagnose that there is a sense of loneliness or depression or sadness, etc., that you are feeling. And then there is a second layer, which what we call knowledge graph. Then this knowledge graph uses all of these deep neural networks interpretations together with the existing unstructured data to find what the growth opportunities are, product innovation opportunities, brand communication opportunities are, and then show them in a dashboard with real-time data pipeline to our customers. Okay. Yes, perfect. So, yeah, it sounds um, it sounds incredible. Um, also from the side of the, the businesses that they're, they're, they're getting access to all of this, all of this data, as you said, that the, the Crisp company, they created their own um, their own new innovative type of crisp using this data. Um, so as things are changing this year, it's a year of change. Um, you've obviously been collecting all of this data from the bees throughout the whole of this year, throughout all the different um, phases of the lockdowns um, in um, across the whole world. And obviously everybody's been affected uh, at different points um, to varying degrees. Um, do you have any generalized insights about um, consumer behavior um, that could help any of the founders listening um, in any any particular sector? Yeah, I would be very happy to. I mean, obviously, our eating and drinking behavior has changed significantly. So if you just start from there, there are like some really funny ones, actually. You would be surprised that um, when you ask people in like traditional surveys, everyone is saying, well, I'm eating more healthy because I'm really worried about the virus and I want to make sure that I'm, I'm keeping healthy. I'm drinking more water. But when we ask them, what are they actually eating? It's a complete different uh, story. We are seeing a lot more chocolate, a lot more comfort food, which is expected in a time of anxiety like this. But at the same time, we see that they are not using mints or gums anymore. Mm -hmm. And this is really interesting because when you are not commuting through the tube, when you are not going out to bars and clubs or, or to work, people seem to care less about their breath. And as a result, mm -hmm. we can see that they, you know, they are not 
following their normal habits of brushing their teeth or using mints and gums. Another really interesting one we saw was in alcohol. When you look at alcohol sales, you would see a quite bland picture that it didn't really increase too much, it didn't decrease too much, and that doesn't really tell the story. Because actually there is a group of people who completely stopped using alcohol, either for health reasons or for income reasons, because it's of course a discretionary spend. And if you are furloughed or if you lost your job, you know, it's a lot of pressure to be able to do some discretionary spend. But we also see a big group of people trading up because they are spending so much more time at home. They can't spend in restaurants and clubs anymore. So they are redirecting that spend into luxury alcohol. But we also see a group of people trading down where they are saying, I used to get a wine with dinner, but if I open a bottle every night, it's too expensive. So instead, I'm buying some gin and I'm making a cocktail and it, the whole bottle lasts for a whole week, right? And this is where really the um, granularity of split piece becomes very important because we can show based on what is your product category as an alcohol company, are you dealing with people who completely stopped and went into non-alcohol or are they trading down or are they trading up so that you can develop the right products and right communication strategy for that? Mm, I think that's going to be really useful for the, the, the food tech and the drink tech startups that will be listening. Um, no, absolutely. And maybe just on that note, another one I find really interesting on fintech side, what we see is that we also track people's bank account usage and like retail banking. And we see that an increasing number of people started consolidating their bank accounts. So in London, if you used to have, you know, Monzo and Revolut and you also have Barclays, etc., we see that people started actually closing the accounts that they are not really using that much. And that's kind of like part of, okay, I'm staying at home. I'm not really doing that much anyway. I'm not maybe trading anyway. Then I'm not going to actually use only one bank account, which is sufficient. Sometimes it's a money-saving activity as well, which really influenced some of the fintech startups. Okay, thank you. Thank you for those insights. Very interesting. Um, we've also noticed um, that uh, this year's Street Beast has also made some changes as well. And that's um, previously, um, your your name was a market research platform, and this year you're sort of transitioning more into being called a human intelligence platform. Um, I was wondering if you could explain a bit about this change and whether it's um, been something uh, that was always planned or if it's it's come about uh, just throughout 2020. Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Charlotte. So when we started business with my co-founder, our vision for the business was that we are going to build the world's first human intelligence platform. What does that mean? Um, my background is in development studies, and I, I lived a year in India and used to do poverty research. And one of the key things I always saw in the field, on the ground, was that one of the main reasons of poverty is lack of information. Why wouldn't an investment company go and invest in the more remote corners of the world? Why wouldn't a consumer company develop more products for that part? Because they don't know. They can't assess their risk. They don't know what the size of the price is. So we wanted to create a platform that makes the human data available anywhere in the world at the same price so that these companies and these organizations can go ahead and with the, with the knowledge, assess their risk and take more risks to be able to contribute to the growth of underdeveloped areas. That was the basic mission behind Street Peace. So yes, from day one, that was always the vision for the business. 
As we first started, we started with consumer companies because there was a burning need and we were offering them a new generation market intelligence platform. But you're right, this year, we started getting demands from the UK government, Department of Health, Red Cross, NHS, and all these organizations like London's mayor's office started using the platform for also understanding human emotions. How are people coping? Is how people coping in Chelsea versus in Shoreditch or versus in Manchester is different? Because then the government's communication angles can change, NHS's services can change, etc. So we started providing a much wider um, audience, so to speak, um, with the data that they can use to actually shape their communication strategy as well. Okay, so it actually represents um, a changing interest in human emotion. Um, on a wider scale that's interesting Hmm. that's such a good point and that's exactly why we also launched a free service called the mood of the world so you can actually just google it and it's a free access and in mood of the world we now in real time show how each country is feeling right now and this is not based on a survey it's actually based on their real true expression of their emotions which we then categorize and uh, in real time visualize um, to show what is the dominant feeling in that country at the moment. Mm. Very, very interesting. Um, great. So um, this year you also uh, landed some investments, so more changes, um, positive changes. Um, you landed um, 40 million uh, US dollars. So how will you use this to expand? Will you be um, focusing on this um, human emotion aspects? Will you be um, growing the team, creating new offices, uh, maybe going into new sectors or verticals? What do you plan to do? That is exactly right. Uh, All of those three things. Um, So if we go through that, the first one is deepening our technology. As you know, there are very few deep technology companies based in London. And we know that it's a very expensive undertaking um, to build a machine learning team, which are inventing new deep technology solutions rather than just using what's out there. And that's exactly what we do. We are one of the private beta partners of OpenAI, for example, working closely with them on this. So we will continue to grow our machine learning team. So anyone listening who is interested, please do apply. We have dozens of new positions in in engineering team. The second one is extending our local presence And I know this might come as a surprise given we can't even travel and we can't even see clients on site, but cultural nuances are very important. So we are getting closer to our customers. We already hired a team in Switzerland, in France, in the US. We will continue to grow those teams and we will also hire this year in Asia local people who understand the local market really well to support our sales and marketing efforts in those markets. And finally, um, there is also new sectors coming up. So we've done a lot in consumer. Um, Next was we actually started working with insurance companies and also um, hedge funds and equity trading companies. Now, a number of financial institutions subscribe to our solution And on a monthly basis, we report to them what are the key growth areas and what are the top companies consumers are rating, which should inform their trading strategy. Just as an example, we were looking into home gyms and Peloton's growth early in March this year, 
months before their stock price actually started trading up. So that's the kind of insights that we can provide for financial institutions. And we will double down in that sector in 2021. Mm, Okay, great. Thank you. Um, So final question. Um, There are probably a lot of founders who are listening who either are um, heading up very early stage startups, so they don't have many resources, or um, there could be um, maybe larger startups who are trying to um, batten the hatches and weather the storm of of COVID and don't have much to spend or um, don't have many marketing resources. Um, Would you have any advice for for those teams who are trying to understand more about what their their customer wants and and how their their user their user needs are changing throughout this time Absolutely. And we've been through the same thing, right? When I first started the company in London, it was like three of us and we went through all those stages. I definitely understand that stage of not having the resources. My biggest tip would be that you don't need any. You can actually do anything that you want to start with practically no capital whatsoever, right? Just to give an example, we actually started running the platform on WhatsApp, which was free. Mm. Right. We didn't even develop an app to begin with. We signed Innocent Smoothies and Unilever as a customer, paying customers in the first month without having any dashboard, any app, no technology whatsoever, just on the basis of the concept. Right. And when we needed to find users, we were sending interns to the Heathrow airport to stop by the Vietnamese airlines and ask everyone on boarding if they can become a bee when they land in Vietnam. So you can do a lot of guerrilla techniques to be able to acquire the users without, again, spending a penny on that. So the most important thing is to listen intently to your customers and understand the underlying problem. The customers might tell you, I need better analysis on this data. Then you keep asking, why? What is better? What does better look like, right? And then you can start shaping what is really needed to solve the underlying problem and then come up with an MVP where you can deliver a solution to the underlying problem with practically no tech yet. It's just a concept creation. The last thing I would say for new starters is that We heard so many no's, you wouldn't believe it. If we listened to that market, we would have never done this. So it's so important to listen intently to your customers. I would say that's the only group you should really be very, very intently listening to. Anywhere where you hear a no, either investors or candidates who wants to join the team or anyone else, all they are saying to you is that you can't do this with me it doesn't mean you cannot do this, right? And you need to move on. You need to keep moving on from those negative responses as fast as you can and just stick to your mission and you will definitely find a way through it. Great, thank you. That's really, really solid advice. Um, So that was our final question. So thank you so much for joining us today and for giving us all of your insights about um, street bees and uh, market research. And I'm really excited to see what happens um, in the human in- human emotion <laughs> intelligence sphere in the future. Um, is there anything that you would like to add or any ways that um, people can keep up to date with, with street bees or perhaps to sign up to be a street bee themselves? Absolutely. Um, So they can just send an email to hello at streetbees.com and we can subscribe them to our newsletter. They can also go and subscribe from our website as well if they wish to stay up to date. 
The last note I would say is that these are tough times. It's not easy for anyone, but it doesn't mean you still can't do what you are set to do. In the midst of a pandemic crisis like this, we grew last year 120%. Our team grew as well. And actually, I feel that our team is closer to each other than they ever been. So try to keep your eye on the positive side, on the silver linings. There are some good things coming out of this crisis. And, you know, that's the best way to get through it. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Thank you.